As we continue in our series of Summer Through the Psalms, we will be jumping into Psalm 7. Psalm 7. And we're going to read here in a moment, so if you have a copy of God's Word, feel free to go ahead and turn to it. And I love how this opens up. I had to listen to a YouTube video multiple times on how to say this word uh, a couple times. And I'm like, man, this is a word twister, right? But we're going to be reading out of Psalm 7. And it says, a Shigian. There was different YouTube translations for the record. A Shigian of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjaminite. Lord, my God, I seek refuge in you. Save me from all my pursuers and rescue me, or they will tear me like a lion, ripping me apart with no one to rescue me. Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is injustice on my hands, if I have done harm to one at peace with me, or have plundered my adversary without cause, may my enemy pursue and overtake me, May he trample me to the ground and leave my honor in the dust. Selah. Rise up, Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my adversaries. Awake for me. You have ordained a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples gather around you. Take your seat on high over it. The Lord judges the peoples, vindicates me. Lord, according to my righteousness and my integrity. Let the evil of the wicked come to an end, but establish the righteous. The one who examines the thoughts and emotions is a righteous God. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who shows his wrath every day. If anyone does not repent, he will sharpen his sword. He has strung his bow and made it ready. He has prepared his deadly weapons. He tips his arrows with fire. See, the wicked one is pregnant with evil, conceives trouble, and gives birth to deceit. He dug a pit and hollowed it out, but fell into the hole he made. He had made. His troubles come back on his own head. His violence comes down on top of his head. I will thank the Lord for his righteousness. I will sing about the name of the Lord Most High. This is the word of God for the people of God. As we jump back in Psalm, this Psalm 7 this week, I'm just really thankful to be back with you. Um, we had been gone for several weeks, my wife and I. We did some traveling. We celebrated our 10th anniversary. Um, it was just a good time of being away. And last week we, was my first Sunday back in several weeks. And man, it's just such a good reminder for me of the strength that we find when we gather together, when we're encouraged by God's word. Over about a week ago, I had a cool opportunity to um, I oversee a camp. I work at Bryan College um, and oversee a camp. And one of my favorite parts was being able to serve with several uh, fellow uh, sojourners. Jessica Vest, Deanna Roberts, um, Mary Laxton, we had uh, Josiah was with us. And it was just a sweet time to not just serve, but also get to serve with my church family. Um, and it's just a great opportunity for us to just serve the next generation. 
But being back with you guys is just fulfill, like fills my heart over the time away. One of the things I was committed to during my break was praying regularly for different sojourners. And, and man, just a reminder of how much I love each one of you. And just a reminder that um, the power of prayer, um, and it's just good to intercede on many of your your's behalf. And just thank you for many of you that shared ways I could pray for you specifically. As we jump in this morning, I want to start with a question in Psalm 7. And it's a pretty simple question, but have you ever had someone bring a false accusation against you? Has anyone ever brought a false accusation against you? Has someone ever slandered your name? Most oftentimes, if, if we're honest with one another in ourselves, these difficult situations where accusations are brought are not always completely untrue or completely true, but maybe hold a hint of truth, right? Maybe you said something, but whoever heard it didn't hear the entirety of your, con your comments. Thus, your comments were taken out of context. And taken out of context, maybe they thought you said something that you didn't intend. As a result, our character, our professionalism, and even our intentions are often questioned. And this is difficult. And how many times have, has someone in this room apologized and said, I'm sorry, that's not what I intended? In reality, one of the things I say in, in leadership is that we want to be judged for our intentions, but we're often judged for our actions. And it would be great if our intentions were constantly known, and that's the way of leadership oftentimes. The way of leadership is that we have to, we have to be held responsible for our actions, not just our intentions. But there's some realities when you're misunderstood or an accusation is even brought against you. Realities of anger, confusion, and maybe even pain um, overtake us. I don't know if anybody wants to be misunderstood. Um, we desire justice, don't we, when we're misunderstood? Or we desire justice when we, someone slanders our name. But... Um, some realities are true in that is that it's just never easy. It's never black and white. And I think this psalm of, of David highlights some of these feelings. It's a psalm of lament, not psalm of praise. And in these psalms of lament, confusion, anger are often deeply tied to it in some way or another. And as I, I thought about Maybe when was there a time that I was falsely accused of something? I couldn't think of a particular time when someone just completely accused me of something horrendous, but I could think of plenty of times when maybe my motives were not understood and my intentions um, were not necessarily, I wasn't necessarily thought of in the best light. Maybe somebody didn't give me the benefit of the doubt. And I was thinking about that pain I was thinking about that confusion. And then Psalm 7 comes. And this particular psalm of injustice is personal for David. David has been accused of something horrific. We don't exactly know what he was accused of, but we can assume he had been slandered. And his response is one that we can learn from this morning. And I think 
understanding the character of David makes his response even more intriguing. And if you know anything about David, 1 Samuel tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. But that's not the full story of David, is it? It's not so pretty. The, David, the story of David is one of pain that he causes when he commits adultery with another woman and then has her husband taken to a front line where he would then be killed. But this same David, broken on one sense and also on the other sense, a man after God's own heart, approaches God in Psalm 7, giving us a beautiful picture of how we are to respond to false accusations. So in Psalm 7, we are confronted with the psalm of lament. Lamenting and desiring justice is the right response when we hear about any injustice in the world. And maybe accusations don't come to mind in your personal experience, but if you spend five minutes watching the news, injustice is in front of us every day, and we're constantly conflicted with how we are to respond. But Psalm 7 reminds us that God judges in his righteousness. God judges in his righteousness. We will consider four postures of David this morning, four postures of David that he portrays as he recognizes God as a, as a righteous judge. So we're going to look at four postures. First is David trusts God to provide refuge. David trusts God to provide refuge. Secondly, David examines himself. Thirdly, David does not defend himself. And fourthly, David offers praise to this righteous king. So first, we look into this passage and we look at how David trusts God to provide refuge. And this psalm begins with a subtle, subtle context that provides an incredible amount of knowledge that we need to understand this passage. When it says, David, when he says he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjaminite. That is extremely, extremely significant in this passage. Because what we are told, we don't know exactly what the words of Cush were, but we do know that the tribe of Benjamin were, were enemies to David. They were enemies to God. So we know that there was hostility between them and David. So we know that this tribe that Cush was a part of wasn't necessarily friends of David. They were enemies of some sort. And so we know that David is responding to some sort of accusation in some way or another. And then we see in verses 1 and 2, it says, Lord my God, I seek refuge in you. Save me from all my pursuers and rescue me, or they will tear me like a lion, ripping me apart with no one to rescue me. You see, David trusts God to be his refuge. And he starts at this point. This is a really interesting progression that we see. It's not just four postures, but it's a progression of four postures that we're going to see by David. But David recognizes God as his refuge. And if you spend time in the Psalms, you'll see that this is a common theme. This is one that, that David is echoing over and over again. And so you see this in Psalm 23, and this is one that is very popular, that most of us have heard, or at least you've seen it on a t-shirt somewhere. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. 
He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along paths uh, for his name's sake. Even when I go through the valley, valley of the darkest, the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me for all the, all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Psalm 103 echoes this. My soul, bless the Lord, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. My soul, bless the Lord, and do not forget all his benefits. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good things, and your youth is renewed like an eagle. The Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. You see, God has, has clearly met David in the darkest valleys, in the darkest moments of his life. Despite pain and suffering, sin and guilt, David turns to God for his refuge. Tim Keller describes refuge like this. Maybe you've heard the term refuge at some point. He says, a refuge is anything that you put your hope in for deliverance and rescue. The Bible uses the word refuge, refuge to denote where you can find rest, peace, and safety in the midst of storms of this life. In a sense, a refuge, refuge is anything that you trust in to save you. A refuge, in other words, is a functional savior. Everyone has some sort of refuge. All of us probably can think about things that we find refuge in that aren't necessarily the most healthy. When Israel stopped looking to God to be their refuge, they looked to one another. Isaiah 30 verses 1 through 2 says, Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who sets out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Israel was pinning all her confidence on Egypt to deliver them from the Assyrian army. Egypt was like was the refuge where that they were hoping in. If only we have Egypt, they thought, then we would be safe. Then we would be secure. Conversely, the scriptures, the Bible constantly points us to God alone for ultimate safety, for ultimate refuge. Psalm 57:1 says, O oh God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of my destruction pass by. Whatever you look to for ultimate safety is your refuge. What do you find refuge in? You see, and David is showing us in the midst of dealing with these false accusations, dealing with the things that he is struggling with, with, with this guy Cush, he goes to God first, recognizing and proclaiming and seeing that God is a place of refuge and that God protects. And you see, a shepherd, which God is, protects, he leads, he cares and loves his children. And David's trust is not passive, but instead it's active. He pleads with God. Yes, in his confusion and pain, David
David runs to the Father. Brothers and sisters, what are you running to to find refuge today? You see, David trusts God to provide refuge. Then secondly, you see this posture from David is that he examines himself. David examines himself. As I've processed David's response to these accusations, I've considered, how would I respond? And I hope maybe you're asking the same question this morning. My sinful inclinations is often to turn to anything but God. Anger and defensiveness are usually emotions and actions I turn to first. What do you turn to? David knows what is true in this situation. He knows what he did and didn't do. He knows what he didn't say. He knows what he did say. But he knows God. He knows that he is sinful, and he knows how God deals with sin. He knows what God, how God has dealt with him previously. So David examines himself next. And he, you see this in verses 3 through 8. He says, Lord, my God... If I have done this, if there is injustice on my hands, if I have done harm to the one at peace with me, or have plundered my adversary without cause, may my enemy pursue and overtake me. May he trample me to the ground and leave my honor in the dust. He starts with, have I done this? David examines himself by willingly giving himself up to be plundered. Not necessarily my response. God, protect me in my sin. Protect me in my brokenness would probably be my response. But he gives himself up to be plundered by his enemy if the cause, if he was the cause of bringing unjust harm. He recognizes that God is righteous and holds his people to a higher standard. One author says this about self-examination. Self-examination should be an introspective self should not be an introspective self-obsession but a humble clear-minded assessment of ourselves through the gospel and the means of looking to scripture and seeing God's commands as the Holy Spirit points out sin as we harbor things that are contrary to the, to the truth of God for some the tendency to assess our self-examination to assess ourselves inaccurately is because we're predisposed to either to assume that we're completely at fault or remove all fault completely. And as I began, usually in situations, there's a hint of truth of some sort. So the assessment is based on personality rather than the gospel. Predispositions take the place of the gospel. So, brothers and sisters, as you begin to think about what does it look like to examine yourself, I think it's easily, you can easily become self-obsessed. Maybe you could become removed too much. But I think the scriptures give us clear truths that are helpful for us when we begin to think about examining ourselves. First, we are loved. You are loved. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children, and we are. We are loved. Secondly, there is nothing you can do to earn this beautiful love. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 5 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love 
that he had for us made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead to trespasses, you are saved by grace. You are loved. There's nothing you can do to earn this love. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit reveals sin. The Holy Spirit reveals sin. John 14, 26 says, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, remind you of everything I have told you. So we are loved. There's nothing you can do to earn this. The Holy Spirit will convict you of sin and reveal it. Then finally, our sin is not meant to cause us to go into deep depression. Because there is great hope in Christ, and 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says, Therefore we do not give up. Therefore we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory, so we do not focus on what is seen, but we focus on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. David does not just go straight to a sin, go to God, defend me. He goes to God in humility and he says, God, reveal to me what is it, how have I hurt someone, what is it in my heart? that has caused me to hurt somebody. David trusts God to be his refuge. He examines himself, and then in this third, third posture, we see that David doesn't defend himself. It is a natural inclination to want to defend yourself when you are wronged and believe an injustice has been brought against you. However, David shows us a better way this morning. Verses 6 through 16. Rise up, Lord, in your anger, lift yourself up against the fury of my adversaries. Awake from me, you have ordained a judgment. Let the assembly of peoples gather around you. Take your seat on high over it. The Lord judges the peoples. Vindicate me, Lord, according to my, righteous and my, my righteousness and my integrity. Let the evil of the wicked come to an end, but establish the righteous. The one who examines the thoughts and emotions is a righteous God. My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge who shows his wrath every day. If, one, if anyone does not repent, he will sharpen his sword. He, he has strung his bow and made it ready. He has prepared his deadly weapons. He tips his arrows with fire. See, the wicked one is pregnant with evil conceives trouble and gives birth to deceit. He dug a pit and hollowed it out, but fell into the hole he had made. His trouble comes back on his own head. His violence comes down to the top of his head. Honestly, I wish I had more time to dive a little bit deeper into just this passage alone, this section. There are some incredible statements, some interesting statements that need to be rightly dealt with. However, as we don't have that much time, I want to know a major theme that is related to the context of David responding to accusations. Remember, David is responding to these things. The passage opens with David recognizing that God is his refuge, then examining himself. David's response to these accusations never turns to him feeling the need to defend himself. Instead, David recognizes a significant truth about God. 
And this is verse 11. David says, God is a righteous judge and, he, and a God who shows his wrath every day. This is a hard verse that I think is very easy for us to look past when you hear the words judgment, when you hear the word wrath. We want to think of God as a God of love. And you see, I think that is true. God is a God of love, but God loves us in his righteousness and as judge. But when we land on verse 11, we have to understand that the entire Psalm of seven, of Psalm 7 hinges on this verse. That God is a righteous judge. Believers, this morning, speak to you for a moment. I think we can find comfort. I think we can find comfort in knowing that wickedness never goes unnoticed by God. Never goes unaddressed by God. I recognize that this also can be disheartening for some this morning. And maybe for those that don't know Christ, that don't consider themselves Christians, you're like, I don't know if I want to follow a God of wrath and righteousness. But there is good news that gathers us each week here at Sojourn. The reason that we exist, there is good news that gathers us to this space. And the good news is pretty simple. And this good news is available to all of us. And this good news is good every day. And this good news is that Jesus loves each one of us. You see that there was brokenness in the world. And we see this in Genesis when there was a fall. And this brokenness separated us from God completely. And while you see prophets and you see kings like David coming to be mediators for God, they always fall short. And so God had to send himself in the form of his son. He sent himself, he sent Jesus on our behalf. You see, Jesus was tempted in every way that you have been tempted. But he was sinless, the scriptures tell us. He was sinless. But God's wrath had to be satisfied one way or another. And we see that God's wrath can never be completely satisfied through the Old Testament prophets and kings. So he sends this king that is above every king, Jesus. And Jesus was nailed to a cross, died a gruesome death for your sin, for my sin. God is righteous. And he is a good judge, a wise judge. And he had to satisfy his wrath and he did it through himself. And you see, because Jesus died on the cross on your behalf and then rose on the third day, he conquered sin, death, and hell. And because of that, new, because of that we can experience new life in Christ. And that's why we gather here every day. Because we believe Jesus renews all things. He renews our lives and that eternity is at stake. And David understood that. David understood that God is a righteous God. He is a righteous one who comforts David. He does not, and David doesn't defend himself against false accusations because, listen to this, God defends him. Do you believe that God will be your defender? God punishes the wicked Or do you feel the need to defend yourself? Maybe when there's false accusations. Or maybe you feel the need to defend other injustices. And God does call his people to stand in place at times to be the ones that bring justice. But when someone has brought false accusations against you, when someone has, when someone has brought something against you, have you responded with defensiveness? 
Have you responded with, well, that's not what I intended? Or have you thought of God as your refuge? And have you examined yourself and trusted God to be your defender? You see, Scripture gives us a new way as Christians. It gives us a new way as believers to respond. You see this in the New Testament. James 1.19 says, My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. One of my favorite passages, Galatians 5, 22 through 26 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers and sisters, you don't have to defend yourself. God gives us a better way, a way of peace that trusts God to be who he says he is, who we say he is, who we proclaim each week. So David seeks God to provide refuge. He examines himself. He trusts God to defend him. And finally, David offers praise to this righteous king. He says in verse 17, I will thank the Lord for his righteousness. I will sing about the name of the Lord Most High. David recognizes that God is righteous and an honest judge despite all the wickedness. The righteousness of God is more than just a response. In fact, it is, it is an essential attribute of God. The righteousness of God can be defined and described as this. It's a divine attribute that describes God acting always in a way that is consistent with his own character. And we see that the psalmist, David particularly here, declares that righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. That is, he himself right, just, and true. Righteousness is essential to his very being and characterizes all that he does. God is morally and always ethically right and acts only in keeping with what is right and just. This theme is a common theme in scripture. Genesis 18 through 18:25 says that he will judge all the earth and do what is right. 2 Timothy 4 through 8 4 8 says he is a righteous judge. See brothers and sisters, we can rejoice knowing that no wickedness goes unnoticed. And that as Mark, what Mark Luazo was reading over my sermon, he pointed out something that I thought it was just proper to just share with you. He said, there might be a sense of decision-making here. David seems to be making a conscious decision to thank the Lord and to sing about his name. The idea that because of trusting God, examining himself, not defending himself, he can now turn and his situation no longer consume his thoughts and emotions. And his thoughts can actively turn to worship. You see, when we are acting and doing what is right, and we are following God, and we are seeing our character transformed into the character of God, we don't have to be worried about it. Even in our brokenness, and even in the situations of a false accusation, we can trust God to defend us. We can act differently because we are different. Because we have been raised from the dead and given new life. 
Uh, I've said this often, so people have spent a lot of time with me know this. When we read Galatians and it talks about that patience and that peace and that kindness, it doesn't say do all those things except when X. No, it says always. Those are things that are meant to characterize the person and work of Christ. Thus, it is meant to, you are meant to show that to the world around you. And maybe the world around you is too big. How about your spouse? How are you loving them? How are you responding to them? And the scripture is very clear in that. So believer, those that know Christ, it is simple this morning, and I want to proclaim this over you. God is your refuge. He will reveal your sin. You don't have to defend yourself, and you can respond in deep praise. God loves you deeply. And those that are considering Christianity, processing the claims of Christ, some of these passages can be hard, and if you want to process these things more with us, we would love to. But simply, do you want to experience the same comfort that we see in David in Psalm 7? Because the same comfort that we see in Psalm David or, or in Psalm 7 in David is greater in Christ. You see, Christ is the greater David. David was insufficient, and God sent his son Jesus. And because of his son Jesus, we have new life. And he comforts us, he brings peace to us, he gives us a new way to live. A way that is just so sweet, sweeter than honey. That brings comfort to our deepest valleys and, our, and brings light in the darkest of places. So we see these four postures by David. And they're pretty, pretty simple. We see that in the first section that David um, responds with a posture of seeking God as his refuge. Then we see that David examines himself. And he wants to make sure that there is no wrong in his heart. And then we see that David doesn't defend himself. David trusts God to defend him. And then he responds with words of praise and worship. So this morning as we continue the time of worship, respond to God appropriately. Appropriately, Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your righteousness. We thank you that you do not let any wickedness we go unnoticed, un, unrecognized, undealt with. We thank you that you hold all things together in your hands. And we thank you for this beautiful picture of showing us a better way to live, a better way to respond. Father, we want to respond to you this, this morning with the same heart that David did. Examine us, Father. Reveal our sin to you, or reveal our sin to ourselves so that we can respond in repentance, recognizing that your grace is sufficient for all things. Father, we thank you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.